Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study science, your word, health principles. Father, we pray that you would make us a victorious people through Jesus our Savior, Lord, that we would draw near to him, I pray. For in his name we pray, amen. Now the main thesis of this presentation we've been making is this quotation, never forget that thoughts work out actions. Repeated actions form habits, and habits form character, right? And so many times we try to change our character. We have certain characteristics that we, re we realize are not good, you know? And other people probably realize they're not good. And so we try to change them, but we can't keep falling in back into the same habits, the same actions, because ultimately what has not been changed? The thoughts. The thoughts. The thoughts of our heart. And ultimately, God wants to give us such a love for him that it gives us victory and transformation, that we become the people that we were called to be, that we begin to um, have the identity of Christ. And as we talked about, we talked about the identity actually is in the frontal lobe. And scientific studies show that the frontal lobe is the seat of spirituality, morality, and the will. We talked about four simple things for overcoming, but there's more to overcoming than just these four things. But number, we, uh, we think of different things, what to do with traps. We talked about getting adequate amounts of exercise. It is amazing how much we, we talked about the fact that just exercising can lower depression levels just as much as a drug medication. And so it makes you, but you say, well, I'm not depressed but it will actually lower your stress levels that it will make you less likely to get frustrated, less likely to say things you shouldn't say to your friends, your family, your parents, your wife, your husband, those kind of things, or your children for that matter. Um, breathing accurately, learning to deep breathe. Ellen White even talks about that. Like I said, that uh, sometimes we feel depressed just because we're not breathing accurately. We're hunching down in our chair and we start feeling down and depressed because we're not getting adequate oxygen to the brain and bodily organs. And drinking adequate amounts of water, drinking, um, uh, basically one of the things they found in the Advent Cell Study is that those who drink five or more glasses a day of water, and that's, that's a, like a real minimum, but that decreases your chance of having a heart attack by 50%. That's just five glasses of water. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And just having one, one gra glass of water before you get, go to bed, I think also gives you about a 50% less chance of having a heart attack that night. So, you know, also gives you a higher chance of getting up to go to the bathroom, probably, <laughs> but at least for me. Um, and the most important of these four is the connection to God through Bible promises and prayer. Remember, uh, claiming promises is not just, you know, quoting a verse of Scripture, but it is bringing it to God as to a friend and believing that he will accomplish that which he has promised, actually talking to him, meditating on what he said, bringing it to him and trusting that he will accomplish. And so we talked about some of the frontal lobe killers. Uh, different frontal lobe killers are drugs, lack of use, certain kinds of music, head injuries, and lack of nutrition. So if you're a, the head injuries one, if you're into extreme sports, maybe you shouldn't be, but if you are into it, put something on your head like a helmet, which would make it at least safer uh, when you're doing it. Especially if you're driving a motorcycle, it may look cool not to wear a helmet. But it's not very cool when you get in an accident. So um, I think it's legal in California not to wear a helmet, right? Is that right? Oh, you do in California. Okay. All right. We've just been in some states where it's... Illinois. Illinois. I think South Dakota. 
Yeah. They, you know, they, they don't require. They don't yeah. require. You know, and, and you know, it's just logical. I mean, I'm all for freedom, and so you, you should have the freedom, you know, to do what you want. But at the same time, it's just smart to wear something on your head. And uh, Fadi is going to come up, and she's going to tell us about hypnotism. Okay, so we're talking about the frontal lobe, right? And we've been over and over emphasizing the fact that it's the seat of our spirituality and it's the way that heaven communicates with us. Like Chad said before, we're not just a spiritual out here, you know, um, entity, but we're also a being, a whole being, mind, body, and spirit. And so God speaks to us through this body and particularly through this mind. Were you going to say something? Yeah, I'll do it later. Okay. so, hypnotism, I wouldn't recommend it for trying to overcome anything, okay? Uh, this is not why we're mentioning it, and you'll see why we're mentioning it. But uh, people use it for overcoming habits, and um, I wouldn't use it for that. All right, so what happens in hypnotism? It says the hypnotized person loses beta waves from the brain. Beta activity indicates sound thinking that involves dynamic frontal lobe activity. So by this statement, are beta waves good waves? Yes, they are, because they engage the frontal lobe, right? It shows you that the frontal lobe is operative when you have beta waves. It says in the hypnotized state, however, an alpha brain activity or alpha brain pattern is operative, during which we do not critically analyze incoming information. So when you have alpha brain activity, you're not taking in information through the frontal lobe. You're not filtering it through the frontal lobe. And what does the frontal lobe help you do? Decide between right and wrong, right? It helps you decide between right and wrong. It says alpha waves are brain waves of lower frequency than beta waves. So alpha is like you're in a, you're in a trance kind of thing, right? It's low frequency. Beta are beta waves. That's how I, I try to remember it, beta, beta. And so they're high frequency, and so they're better waves to have. In the hypnotized state, an individual will record information and suggestions without interpretation, without frontal lobe filtering. So you can take information in, right? Because sometimes we say things like, oh, it doesn't matter what, what I look at, what I do. I can filter it out, right? I can, I can um, like Chad said, chew the meat and spit out the bones. Well, in some instances, it's not it's not an option. What goes in stays in there and may come out at some weird time. Okay, so let's continue. It says, hypnosis attempts to cancel out frontal lobe functions and bring people into a trance in which they are highly suggestible. This is most easily accomplished by training the eyes to focus in on one object, the best object being a what? A little flickering light. That's the easiest way to get somebody hypnotized. And it says the person will record information and duties without interpretation or without frontal lobe activity. Do you think this is safe? You know, for those of you that have been hearing how important the frontal lobe is, do you think it's safe to shut it down? No, it's not. It's the way heaven communicates with us. So it's not safe to shut down the frontal lobe. And um, with that said, what is possibly Okay, what is possibly the greatest frontal lobe killer? With what we just described. Um, yeah, and how can you get a person into that? A little flickering light? 
Yeah, strobe light would do it too. But yes, television, television, media, that kind of thing. Uh, you notice we have these flickering lights with us all the time now, right? You used to just be in your home. And you know how you pass by somebody's house at night and what do you see, you know, like in their home? You see, it almost seems like a strobe light today because the way they, they switch scenes so fast today, right? It's just like you see it in their house, like boom, boom, boom. Every few seconds, the light is flickering. And this puts you in a trance. And some of you might be thinking, are you serious? Okay, think of it yourself. When you're sitting and watching television with someone, and all of a sudden the commercial comes on, and you want to talk to this person, and you're like, hey, uh, I want to tell you. And they're like, yeah, yeah, just a second, just a second. You know that look? You know that look? Haven't you had that look yourself? That's in that same alpha brain activity. You're in that alpha brain activity. You're taking all this information in. You're not really aware of your surroundings, but you're like taking it and you think this is the most important thing. Not engaging in this conversation with a real human, but you think this is the most important thing that you're focusing in on, right? And it's during that time where you're not using your frontal lobe that the devil can bring in information that we shouldn't be um, listening to. But this is something else that's interesting. Look at the date on this from Time Magazine, Monday, May 28, 1979. Okay? We've known about some of these things for a while. It says, an increasing number of studies suggest that the main danger of television may not be the message, but the medium itself. Just looking at TV. In Bedford, Massachusetts, Psychophysiologist Thomas Mulholland and Peter Crown, a professor of television and psychology at Hampshire College, have attached electrodes to the heads of children and adults as they watched television. Uh, Mulholland thought that kids watching exciting shows would do what? Show high attention, right? To his surprise, the reverse proved true. While viewing TV, the subject's output of what waves, guys? Alpha waves increased, indicating they were in a passive state as if they were just sitting quietly in the dark. So their brain activity looked like they were just sitting in the dark, but they were supposed to be watching these exciting shows, right? That should be like just making your brain just, whoa. And it was like, no, it was too much information. They were just zoned out like they were in the dark. And this is, this is the kicker. The implication from 1979 TV may be a training course in the art of what? Inattention. What do so many kids get diagnosed with today? ADHD, right? Attention deficit disorder. So you see that this has been happening. This is something that, that they've understood that is affecting our brains, right? And we take it so lightly, and, and myself included, um, I grew up, that's how I learned the English language was through television, you know, that, that's, that's how I learned it. We watched a lot of television growing up, and it's only by the grace of God that I don't, I, I don't watch it today, except now computers have become our, you know, oh, I don't watch television, but I'll watch YouTube for hours, at a, you know what I mean? And, or I'll be on Facebook forever and just flipping, flipping, flipping. And so there's just always a new thing to engage our brains and take away from the important things, right? Another study published in the Journal of Pediatrics reported that for every hour a day, 
children watch TV, there is a 10% increased chance of them being diagnosed with ADHD. This means that if a child watches five hours a day, she has a 50% chance of being diagnosed with ADHD. Isn't that crazy? But we see it, don't we? We see that this is actually happening before our eyes. And isn't it interesting that you sit a child in a classroom like this, they have a hard time paying attention, but you put them in front of a video game and they could be there all day and they have no problem paying attention to that. So that tells you there's something happening in that, in that situation that they're paying attention, but not really, right? They're like zoned out. They're in that alpha brain activity where information is coming in, but so think about this. Um, your kid is playing these games or watching TV all day, right? And when you when you're in that alpha brain activity what part has been shut down of your brain the frontal lobe and what part of the brain is the frontal lobe the seat of spirituality morality and the will no wonder our kids have no interest in spiritual things if all week we're engaging in activities that shut down the spiritual portion of our brain how do we expect them all of a sudden Friday night comes, turn off the TV, turn off your games, turn, sit and be bored to death. And then they can't wait until the Sabbath is over with, right? Because you're just asking them to do the impossible when all week the frontal lobe has been shut down. The spirituality has been dwarfed. And then all of a sudden we're like, I don't know why my kid, you know, doesn't, doesn't, um, enjoy church i don't know maybe church needs to be a little more exciting so they can enjoy it right maybe church that's the problem no the problem is is what we've been feeding ourselves all week long so that we heard we heard um was it jeffrey that said it or were, was it you no you just said it this morning brother about how um watching so much television takes away desire for the simple food of the word of god right that when you first start coming to it and you turn off the tube and you turn off the computer and the phones and all that, it's like you don't have the mental capacity to even handle the simple things. Now, um, television also increases daydreaming, uh, decreases creative ingenuity, so it takes away our creativity. Children are very creative at first, but the more you put them in front of the tube, the less creative they become. Uh, it decreases interest in reading. That was me. I, I did not enjoy reading. Decreases interest in learning. Reduces discernment. Where does discernment take place again? The frontal lobe. All these things are things that happen in the frontal lobe. And so you can see it's damaging the frontal lobe. It requires no physical activity. The average person spends about 33 hours per week, if not more. Uh, little mental activity you spend more you um and then it says slows metabolism and when you sleep your brain starts to rejuvenate and and does a lot of work when you're sleeping and it takes just a moment all right i'll skip that for a mom um Little mental activity, it slows metabolism, there's a rise in obesity and poor lifestyle habits. And so you can see, you know, not only is it 
physically changing your brain, but then the input of information is not always the best, is it? Um, the study published in February issue of the Archives of General Psychiatry found a rising risk of depressive symptoms with increasing hours spent watching television. So the more television you watch, the more depressed you get, is what, what the studies are showing. And maybe you could even see it in your own life. If you spend a lot, you think about it, let's say you spend all Sunday just sitting in front of the tube, but at the end of the day, do you feel like you really accomplished something or do you feel like, man, I just wasted a whole day? So you feel guilty and depressed about it. You're not going to feel like, yeah, you know, I got this done today and I got this checked off my list and that. You don't feel like that. You just feel so let down because it was just needless information, right? But if you're struggling, um, I did too. And I remember when, when my brother and I, we were first getting to the point where we wanted to, to make a change. And it was very difficult for us. And so we, we didn't have the strength to do it, and God is so gracious, and the TV busted. It actually broke. And so then my dad was like, go get the TV fixed. We're like, no, Dad, we're not getting the TV fixed. You want it fixed, you go fix it. <laughs> and so he kept at us, and we're like, no, we're not fixing the TV. We're okay with it. It took him about a month to get the TV fixed. So then he finally got it fixed. He brought it back, turns it on, and we sat there and we're like, can you believe what's on television? Can you believe it? And do you think that much changed in a month? What changed in a month? We did. We changed. Our mind changed. All of a sudden, we had this discernment again. All of a sudden, we were sensitive again to sin. Isn't it interesting that you watch things on television as two-dimensional and you kind of separate it from reality, right? You'll watch two people engage in activities that are totally against the Ten Commandments, right? You're watching these two people doing this thing, and if you saw them before your eyes doing that, you would think it was sin. But for some reason, two-dimensional, we have this like little rule that it's okay there, but it wouldn't be okay if it was done right in front of me. But to your brain, it's no different. As Jesus said, um, if a man looks on a woman and, and lusts after her, he's committed adultery in his heart. Because in our brains, there's no difference between what we see and what we do because your hormones, everything is, is kicking in as though you're doing it yourself. And so think about this. The Ten Commandments, as you're watching television, and you're watching the Ten Commandments being broken all the time. Do you think it would lessen the effect of those commandments in your own life? Do you think that it would start, you would start to, well, maybe it's not that important, right? If, if I just do that, maybe it's not, and, and so little by little, it's affecting us in ways that we never imagined. That, that God's holy law is trampled upon every day within our homes, and we don't even realize it. And, and we've kind of accepted it. It's become a part of culture. And then we look at people who speak against it and think, oh, you're being a little fanatical. Don't you think you're being a little fanatical? Right? I've thought that. I've thought the same thing. You're being a little fanatical. But you wonder. I grew up in the church, and most of my classmates are not in the church anymore. And it's all because in school, you know, you do your, and we were all brought up in school, in church school. 
you know, you have your little culture and then at home you do all whatever you want. And we would do all manner of things at home. But then in school, we had these like split personalities. And sooner or later, one of those personalities will take over, right? Sooner or later. So just encourage you, this is a verse in Philippians 4.8, that if you're struggling to let go of the media trap, this is what I do. Um, if whatever I'm beholding goes along with this verse, then it's okay. But if it doesn't, then I say, okay, let me go find some other activity to do. So here it is, Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. So if you're watching something and it's not lovely and it's not of a good rapport and it's not pure, turn it off and go find something that is pure and lovely and honest and good to do, right? It, it, it does, it, it's, a, it's a way of like really helping us have a guide on whether something is worth watching or not. Because you might be thinking, well, Fadi, aren't you speaking out of both sides of your mouth? Because I thought you and Chad make documentaries right? That, that's what you guys do. And yes, we do. Um, and I'll tell you this, we're not telling you to throw everything out, right? We're telling you have moderation and decrease it dramatically. And if you don't know what that means, we usually tell you to do this. Take a 30-day media fast, okay? Um, media blackout for the month. If you need to check your emails and things for business, that's different. But for the most part, just have a media blackout for the month. Come back to it. And when you come back to it, you'll have better discernment because your frontal lobe has had time to rest, rejuvenate, and get stronger. And so then you'll have better discernment on whether something should be watched or not. Okay? But you need that time of, of fasting from it to even have that discernment because the discernment isn't there when you're stuck in it. So like my brother and I, right? We, we had an accident, accidental or purposeful on God's part, but we didn't purpose that 30-day me, media fast, but it happened and our discernment came back. And we were stronger then to say, no, I'm not going to waste any more time in front of this thing. I have a life to live, right? I want to get out there and, and experience life for myself and not through somebody else. Here's another thing. Um, it says, constant stimulation of the senses shuts down the analytical processes and ultimately shuts down the ability to face life rationally. Do we see that in, in ourselves or, or some young people where they can't face life rationally, things are just too much for them because of the constant stimulation, the brain is overworked. This leads to escape techniques that involve withdrawal, apathy, and rejection of disciplined thinking when faced with different duties and decisions. This is a powerful statement. This guy's not even a Christian, um, this Alvin Toffler. So what's going on here is he's talking about if you are constantly stimulated, or I should say overly stimulated, then it shuts down your critical thinking abilities, which means it shuts down the frontal lobe, right? And, and you can see that. Like people are just always looking for an escape route, escape, and can't, can't deal with disciplined thinking when faced with like difficult situations in life, right? 
And, and you can see how it's all connected. And so God doesn't want us to be hooked on these things, right? He wants us to go out and spend time in nature, go for walks, look at things, you know, slow down. Um, you, you see a little turtle walking, he's so slow, and a little bunny hopping by. And these are just beautiful things that we take for granted. And oh, the joy they bring to our lives once we do them, right? Once we get out there and do it, it's just like, wow. And, and when we don't have the constant stimulation and it's quiet and we have to deal with the inside, that's when we start to hear the still small voice. But these things tend to drown out that still small voice and we can't hear the voice of God telling us this is the way walking in it. And so my, my encouragement is, is if you really struggle with it, do the fast. Come back to it. See what you can do. And if you see any time, we, we do it here and there where we're just like, okay, we're spending too much time on our phones. We need to just cut back and just do it for business and that's it. And then life is so much better. It's so much better after we do that. You know, but then when you just feel like a drug addict that's just like out of control when you're always like, where's my phone? Where's my phone? Where's my phone? I got to check. I got to check. I got to check. Anyway, um... I'll let Chad come up and, and um, continue the thought on this one. All right. This is from a book by uh, Dr. Daniel G. Amen, his name is. And uh, he talks about constantly texting, checking email, and internet. And what he said is they, they took a group of people and they were taking a test, and they were but they were checking email and this kind of thing, or instant messages or texts, we would say, uh, continually, something like that. And what they found is that it resulted in an IQ drop of 10 points, which is more than um, double the 4% average fall found in those of marijuana users. So the most damage done, according to the survey, by the almost complete lack of discipline in handling emails. Dr. Wilson and his colleagues found a compulsion to reply to each new message, leading to constant changes of direction, which inevitably tired and slowed down the brain. Now, so this, this man says this, this problem of constantly doing, you know, two different things at once all the time, it actually drops our IQ uh, more than marijuana, <laughs> um, and which is a very interesting thought. And, you know, and it's not, these, this is not like some, you know, ultra-conservative Seventh-day Adventist writing this book. This is someone who's writing more from a, um, I mean, this guy's not writing from an Adventist perspective at all. They're just talking about what is the effect of this. And, but he goes on to say, constantly checking emails, instant messages, we could say text, voicemails, and the internet is stressful. You say, no, I love it. But there's a stress to our brain, even if we enjoy it. But it is also addictive as one is always waiting for the next good email, instant message, or voice message to hit, like waiting for the next blackjack in the card game 21. The anticipation of something good keeps us checking something routinely. It also distracts us from staying focused on the person or task at hand. Now, he's not crazy about this. He goes on to say, checking these messaging systems is an, is an important way to communicate, but it is better to set aside specific times each day to work on them and leave them alone the rest of the time. Now, I mean, that sounds almost impossible today, right? I mean, we think, you know, we, we've got a habit of constantly wondering, you know, did someone write something on Facebook or whatever, you know, but, but it used to be you actually would think on a given subject for a time period 
and then you would go on to do other things. And what he suggests is, yeah, 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 okay, we got to use these things. I mean, this is the way we communicate. I mean, this is the way people get, in, I mean, one of the main ways people get in touch with us to invite us somewhere is through, you know, email or not as much, but texting, you know, these kind of, these kind of things. People would write you and ask you questions. So, yes, we have to do them, but rather than constantly being disjointed in our effort of, of you know, staying connected to something, stay connected in whatever task you're on. Uh, let's say, even if you say it's for a time period, like, okay, um, if you're in, you know, you could, you could say, I'm going to work an hour and then I'll check, you know, my whatever, my voicemail or whatever you have to check. And so that you actually get to the point where you can keep your mind focused on a given subject. It actually strengthens the brain to do that. Uh, now, Dr. Akiyomori, this at least, this is what it said when you read about him. It says, Dr. Akiyomori, a professor of neurosurgery, conducted a neurophysiological study observing the effects of video games on the brain. The EEG, the brain scan, showed that regular gamers never showed what? Beta waves. Not even when they were occupied with other matters. However, the alpha waves, which signal rest, prevailed. According to the, the study, this was identical to the EEG of a person suffering from heavy dementia. Brain activity especially decreased in what part of the brain? The prefrontal cortex, a region that is responsible for the control of emotion and creativity. But the frontal lobe is also the seat of spirituality, morality, and the will. I want you to think about this for a moment. Could it be, if this is in fact correct, which I don't doubt that it is, if it's in fact correct, could it be that we have a child and all the kids have video games, so I want to make my sure my child has games where he's you know blowing things up and killing people i want him to be just like all the other kids right well obviously what i just said sounds crazy i mean you think well that's probably not a good idea but here's the thing let's say he's not blowing up things and killing people but he just plays some car games all the time or whatever it is and it doesn't you know it's pretty uh you know it's not not such a big deal but here's the thing if if gamers if it actually shuts down the frontal lobe I mean, now these are gamers. These are people who are playing significant amount of video games. It shuts down their frontal lobe, which means it's probably shutting down their spiritual life. Does that make sense? Now, television does also shut down the spiritual life also. It shuts down the frontal lobe. Now, once again, it, you know, watching 3ABN or this or that here and there is fine. But I would even suggest to you, even our documentaries, don't sit and watch even Christian television all the time. Don't get all of your religion from television. You should have your religious experience right here by spending time in this book. You say, but it's boring. It's boring because of television. It's boring because of video games. It's boring because of social media and all these things. But as we actually spend time in it, we get to the point where it changes our lives, right? And so, um, and could it be that, let's say, six days a week, your kid's just playing, 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 and then all of a sudden, Friday night comes, and you say, all right, turn that off. It's Sabbath. So what you've just done is you've shut down their frontal lobe for a week, and you're hoping that you can turn it back on for 24 hours. Is that going to work real well? And, and they're just waiting to shut it down. They're just waiting for the Sabbath to be over so they can start racing the car again or shooting the people or blowing up the zombies or literally whatever it is, you know? And so the thing is, is we want to learn to actually be thinking people not just automatons who are controlled by some outside influence, but that we are actually people. And so I would just suggest to you, I mean, this is, I mean, I'm not telling people what to do. 
Uh, but what they found is that one study found that playing a video game led to dopamine increases in the brain equivalent to amphetamine use. And it's this dopamine rush that makes both so addictive. So this is as, as addictive as an, an amphetamine addict. That's why it's so hard, because when kids come out of it, when you pull them away, they are bored with everything. All of life is boring, except for video games. You notice that? Young people, it's like, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored. But you see people who, who their kids have never played these things, and you can go and visit them in their house, and their kids will sit there, and, and you'll have a six-year-old having a discussion with you. Yes or no? Has anybody ever seen that before? So you see this distinction, and I'm not putting anybody down. Many of us had no idea. We thought, oh, this, there's nothing wrong here. I mean, I grew up, you know, with Mario Brothers. I wasn't an Adventist or whatever. But we had these different games, you know, Duck Hunt. And, I mean, this is old school. You know, this is way back in the day, you know. Um, like the, these things that just seem really mundane compared to what we have today. But the point is you get addicted to these things. And so I would challenge you, if you, ha if you haven't had children, when, you know what's interesting? Madonna. Uh, now, Madonna, do you think of her as quite a moral, upstanding citizen? No. Madonna, she does not allow her children to, what is it, watch television. She doesn't want her children to be corrupted, right? Steve Jobs, he's dead, but with his children, he did not let them spend very much time at all on computers and iPods and iPads. Now, why not? I mean, he wants all of us to be spending time on them, or he did. But the fact is, he, these people who are at the top of the worldly system realize, you know what? I think it's silly to let your kids do these things. The Bible tells us sometimes that the children of the world are wiser than the children of light. Could that be? That we're like, oh, don't, you don't, I mean, you got to let your kid know the world. You got to let them be connected to all these things. But here's the thing, like, the people of the world are like, no, you don't need your kids doing all that kind of stuff. You want them to be thinking, intelligent people, right? Do you see how sometimes they know things that we do not know? Madonna knows what media does to people. She, she's like one of the key people going in it. So, so did Steve Jobs. But these people recognize that there are certain things that would be better for your children just to avoid. And so I'm not telling you what you have to do. I'm just giving you the idea that um, if, you know, if you want your kid to be, we wonder why our kids are interested in spiritual things, but it could be because of what they have in their bedroom or in their house or on the console or whatever it is. Uh, for those who weren't able to see it, I'll just show it to you very quickly. We looked at, this is a brain scan of a normal brain, and this is the, a pornography addict's brain. It begins to look like someone who has uh, literal brain damage, like their brain is seriously being affected. This is a cocaine addict on the, le on the left, and this is a pornography addict on the right. And the porn addict looks like their brain is in worse shape than a cocaine addict. And we talked about the fact that God can bring us back. We're not here just to try to tell you about these negative things. Uh, the reality is, is God wants to set us free. As we said yesterday, he wants to bring back the years that the locusts have taken away. He wants to change us. He wants our brains to be healthy, that actually represent his character in his glory, and that we are identified with Christ. And how can we be changed? You know, we're told that it is a law of the mind, that it gradually adapts itself to the subjects upon which it is trained to dwell. So that's for good or bad. If occupied with commonplace matters only, it will become dwarfed and enfeebled. 
If never required to grapple with difficult problems, it will after a time almost lose the power of growth. As an educating power, the Bible is without a rival. The Word of God, uh, in the Word of God, the mind finds subject for the deepest thought, the loftiest aspiration. I know for me, reading the Bible changed my life. It transformed my life. And God's still working on me. It's not over. He's still continuing to work. But this book that is boring initially to virtually everyone, it begins to change you as you continue to stick with the Word of God. We talked about some of the frontal lobe killers. The question is, can they be fixed? And if they can, how? So we're going to talk about that. Dr. Penfield uh, was spoken of by Dr. Chalmers in a book, Healing the Broken Brain. And he told us uh, what, what, what Dr. Penfield did was he would cut open the skulls of people in a scientific study, and then he would have these people literally be awake, and he would take a, an a electric electrode, and he would literally poke the brains of these people. And it would cause memories to come back to them. It would cause memories to come back. I mean, can you imagine having your skull open and, you know, just somebody's poking your brain? Well, what ended up happening? He told us that even while he was probing with his gentle electric current, he could engage the patient in conversation. And the patient could, by the act of his will, shut off the effects of the stimulation, not hear or see the playback and attend to what Dr. Penfield was saying. Meaning this, so he pokes the brain and one of your memories flashes back into your mind. But the patient could choose to cut off the memory and rather choose to talk about what Dr. Penfield was discussing with him. Does that make sense? Sometimes you have memories, let's say you know you were into pornography, and so then you have these images come back into your head and it's just like, oh no. But now, what do we realize? We don't have to choose to go back to old thoughts. Maybe the devil has a way of poking our brain as it will, right? I, I don't know how he would do, does it, right? He, can't, uh, he doesn't know what we're thinking, but I'll bet he can bring thoughts and temptations into the mind. For sure he can, the Bible says, right? Yeah, he knows what you've looked at, right? I mean, th this is just a reality. And so, uh, but we can choose where we actually put our thoughts. And then Dr. Penfield said, the will of man is free. It uses the pathways of the brain, but it is not, what? Controlled by them. So you're not stuck to think back on the evil of your past. Yes, those thoughts will come. Yes, there's an enemy. But by the grace of God, we can turn our minds to our Savior. We can turn our minds to Jesus. And as we behold Him, as we think about Him, we, become, we begin to be changed into His character. As we go to the promised verses and we think about them, we meditate on them, we talk to God about them, and we ask for strength to fulfill them and trust that He will fulfill them, we are changed into the image from glory to glory, even as, the Spirit of, even as by the Spirit of God. And so it says, by choosing to attend to Penfield in conversation, the patient was able to shut off all the effects of the electric probe. The physical brain areas impacted by the electric probe ceased to respond. So they could actually stop what the electric probe was doing. All this was in response to a simple act of the patient's decision to attend to something else. In this instance, his conversation with Penfield. Does that make sense? So God has given humans the ability to choose where to focus their thoughts. We are not forced by the enemy. But as we talked about yesterday, if we just tell ourselves when temptation comes, if I say, don't think about the cigarette, don't think about the cigarette, what am I thinking about? The cigarette. So we actually have to choose to think on something 
better. Just like Fadi read earlier, Philippians 4, verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are, are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. So meaning, meaning, don't focus on the bad and say, Oh, God, I feel like I'm going to sin again. Oh, I'm going to go look at pornography again. Oh, I'm going to smoke again. I mean, No, turn your mind to God and His Word. Turn to the positive thing as He gives us the victory. So how to strengthen the frontal lobe and will? Here's seven ways to strengthen the frontal lobe and will. And the first one is practice deciding things. As Fadia talked about yesterday, many times we're afraid to make decisions. But actually look at all the evidence and make the best decision you can by prayer and by you know seeking God's wisdom. But even when you try to do the best, sometimes you make a, you make a mistake. You're, you're, you're going to. But then you can learn from that. If you don't make a decision, you can't learn from the mistake even. You can't really learn anything. But it's better. We're told in the spirit of prophecy that sometimes it's better to make a wrong decision than to make no decision at all. Because you can learn from a mistake. You can say, oh, man, I, that, that was a wrong decision. I'll never, I'll never do that again by the grace of God. But if you don't make any decision, you can't learn anything. You just can't. So number one, practice deciding things. Number two, complete each job before you begin another. Now, so meaning, let's say you need some to write a little short paper. It's going to take 45 minutes. Well, stick to that paper for the 45 minutes, and you can check your email afterward. But stick to it for that time period. Keep your mind on that subject. Now, obviously, if you're writing a 300-page report, you can't wait till you're done with all 300 pages. But you could still say, I'm devoting an hour to it, and then I, I can check my email or whatever it is. But sticking to it will actually keep your brain focused. Number three. This is a tough one. Roll out of bed as soon as you awake and after planned hours of sleep. Make the decision the night before and stick to it in the morning. Not easy, but it is something that just that decision that you stick to actually can strengthen your will. Number four, read deeply and thoughtfully and stretch your mind to retain what you read. Obviously, the most important thing to read is from, you know, the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. But I would even challenge you, even in secular matters, maybe you want to learn more about gardening. Go find a good book on it. Maybe you say, oh, I'm not interested in gardening, but something. I mean, maybe it's construction or whatever it is. If there's something, uh, now obviously you don't want to read junk, and I'm not talking about reading fairy tales. I mean, don't, there's, too, there's so much to do in life, we don't have time for that kind of stuff. But nevertheless, uh, find something good that you actually would like to learn about. That's very good for your brain. And number five, the will is strengthened by exercise. Take time to separate from indulgences. And so we do that in this overcoming seminar. That the first day you're just eating fruit and water, you're separating from indulgences. The second day you're adding vegetables to that. The third day you add, is it grains? Bread. Yeah, grains, you know, whole wheat or, or it could be rice or quinoa or whatever. Uh, well, uh, and then the fourth day, nuts. No, beans. Yeah, legumes. You you add legumes to it, and then the, then you add beans the next day. And uh, yeah, one thing I want to say too about even the pornography issue. Uh, we looked at the brain, the effects of it. Uh, we were told, and it's interesting that science is beginning to even look at some of these things. That you think like, you know, they noticed that there actually seems to be differences in the character of those who eat spicy foods and those who don't. They find that they're more risk takers. Spicy eating people are, are greater risk takers. And that may sound fun for like extreme sports, but could it be that 
you all also might be more likely to take a risk spiritually. You know, that maybe it just shows you're a little bit too spontaneous in a negative way. And so the reality is, is they're noticing that there's differences between people who eat spicy foods and those who don't. Now, I says that spicy food can actually make us more spicy, right? I can make our sexual life more spicy. And so I'm not telling you the way you have to eat, but if you struggle with these issues and it's just overwhelming, you may find that it literally is some of the spices that you eat. But getting back to a plant-based diet, number one, and I'll just tell you personally in my life, just even in the area of loss, that eating a whole lot more fruit, Ellen White told, tells us, this is an interesting thought, she says that the food God gave Adam in his sinless state is the best for keeping the body in a sinless state. That's very interesting. When I began to eat uh, uh, the high, high fruit diet, we eat vegetables, we eat beans, we eat bread and all those things and nuts, uh, but we eat a lot of fruit, and I noticed that it reversed depression, it reversed joint pain that I had, reversed my wife's uh, uh, yeast infection. I mean, so many things that benefited us, and it lowered my lust. Very simple, just to be very honest with you. And just like Ellen White said, and, and we didn't cook with any spices, you know? And it was such a benefit for us. Uh, it, to me, it's not legalism. I'm not saved because I avoid spices. Like, oh, I'm, I get to go to heaven now. I haven't eaten spices lately, you know? No, it's not like that. But just the spiritual battle is not as rough it'd be like going it's like if you were going to war and you had like 200 pounds on your back and you're trying to go fight the enemy and you got this giant heavy suit on it's like well yeah you can still fight but boy is it hard right and you begin to let go of that suit and you're like whoa i can move again you know now i can at least swing my arms a little bit i can fight back a little and your mind's clear and so you can actually take out the sword of the spirit and it's maybe a little bit easier to wield at that point does that make sense? What were you going to say? Yeah, it, I'll tell you, when I started eating this way, I noticed after two weeks, I remember uh, just a specific day, I was like, wow. I noticed I can control my thoughts. And, 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 and just so you know, it's not like, wow, now I'm a secular being, I can c- control my thoughts. But by the grace of God, I could actually choose not to think things. And, and this is totally the grace of God. But he has made it. He knows how this body's supposed to work, Right? And because he knows how this body's supposed to work, when I feed it and I exercise and I drink my water and I get out and do all these things and follow his plan, my body begins to just kind of, it just flows like the way God and, yeah, I mean, we're showing you that science is backing up almost all this stuff, but not until recently, you know? And, and I'll tell you, ever since we started doing this, it's been probably, a, you know, some of the best years of our life. It's been such a blessing to us. You know, even in our marriage, it's been a blessing to us. Um, we go on and on. But uh, number six is practice. Well, there you go. Practice healthful eating and exercising habits. That's uh, also good for strengthening your willpower. And number seven, the most important of these is ask God to strengthen your will. Asking God to strengthen your will. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, it, it is such a blessing to follow God's principles. And because I'll tell you, you know, I was walking forward in the Lord, having devotions and, and spending time, but it's like still just really struggling with these issues. And like we read yesterday, LOI said uh, that those who are intemperate in their diet and in their habits find it almost impossible to basically live out the spiritual life. And so sometimes it actually has to be, you know, a reversal of these things that helps to transform us. That helps give us victory. Um, let me see here real quick. 
oh, one more thing I want to share with you. I'll share you a little illustration. This is Oregon, the state of Oregon, so just north of here. Uh, we lived there for a while when the Mission College was up there, and I guess it's actually up there again, but in a different area. But this was a pathway. You can see it was a path, but what was over it now? There were thorns. There were blackberry bushes. And anybody knows about blackberry bushes? What do they have all over them? Big thorns. They have wonderful blackberries in the right season, but you, you have thorns everywhere. So we went out there with literal machetes, and we, we, we wanted to be able to walk these trails, but you really couldn't when, obviously, it's like this. This is difficult. So we went out there with machetes, and we began just hacking and hacking and hacking. And as you did, it literally, I mean, I had at least, I think, 50 cuts on my hands. Just, just all over you have all these cuts. To start a pathway, it takes, sometimes it's painful, right? To start a new trail can be painful. But then once we went through, and it's rainy up there, but you can see it's kind of a wet area, but it got to the point where it was just easy. Once you had cut the way through, it became very easy to walk down the trail. And you probably heard that you know, within our brain, we, we kind of parallel it to the connections in the brain, that for instance, um, you have between two neurons, when you do something new, a new connection is made between the neurons. So I'll give you an example in my life. I was not a smoker. My dad gave me my first cigar, and very rapidly I became addicted to tobacco. So here I've never had cigarettes, never had tobacco, never wanted it. It stunk, but then he gave it to me. And, and so um, one of the things that happened was, so now a new pathway is laid down in my brain. And then I smoked a second time, and that pathway gets a little stronger. And then I did it a third time, and a fourth, and a hundredth. And, and, in each, and it began to be stronger and stronger. That path just begins to be very easy to walk down. So then you get to the point where anytime you're stressed, the stress makes you think, I want a cigarette. Or every time you wake up in the morning, I want a cigarette. Or every time you get in the car, I want a cigarette. So these connections become connected literally physically in your brain. So sin, you don't think about this, but sin, we think of sin as a spiritual issue, and it is, clearly. I mean, obviously it's spiritual. But when what happens is it becomes physically a part of your brain, which means it's physically a part of you. So let's say anytime you get on the computer, you know, your mind goes to pornography or whatever. Boom, that first time you did it, a pathway was laid down. Second time you did it, it got a little stronger. Third time, and then it gets to the point where it's just like, that's just what you do. Right? It's literally who you are. It's part of your character. It is part of who you are. It's part of the flesh. Right? Sin is part of your flesh. So then here's the thing. So then you decide, I'm not going to do it anymore. I know it's not right. I, I see it destroys my brain. I know it destroys my relationship with Jesus. I'm not going to do it anymore. But then you go and you're like, oh, i got to check my email. You go on your computer and then you just, boom, you go back to the same old sin. Right? The reason is because is it's a part of you. So when you try to quit, you're actually denying who you are. That is who you are. Do you see why the idea of, you know, popular uh, society says if you have a desire and a drive for something, don't deny it because that would be denying yourself. You understand? Should we not deny something because that's what I want? Well, the Bible says that we are to die daily. We're to die daily to ourself, right? And so, so I try to quit, but that's just a part of who I am. So here's the thing. So let's say in the smoking illustration, I get stressed, and stress led me to want a cigarette. Now, before I had ever smoked, I never need associated stress and cigarettes together. They had nothing to do with each other, right? 
But once I became addicted, the two became physically connected in my brain. So let's say, so, so all of a sudden stress comes on, but I, I now am a Christian. I've given my life to Jesus, but my flesh had, didn't disappear when I became a Christian. So now I say, I know they taught about me about Bible promises. What's that Bible promise? What's that Bible promise? Oh, I can't remember. I'm going to have a cigarette, right? That's what happens many times when the first time we try to claim a promise. We can't remember what it was because it takes work to remember a Bible promise. But then, but then the next time I'm like, no, Lord. So then I'm like, oh, man, I messed up again. So then I go to my Bible promises, you know, and I, 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 I got my Bible promise, and, I, and it says, you know, okay, uh, what, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Um, that's not what this one was, but you get the point. So, uh, so you, you, you go to the plumber and you say, Father, you told me. So now I'm stressed and I want a cigarette. But Father, you told me that my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, that you want to dwell in me, that I'm not to defile your temple. Father, you give me the victory so that you can dwell in me. Please, Father, please, I need your strength because I'm so desperately weak. I can't do it, but you can. And I'm trusting in you. So now, now the stress drew me closer to Jesus, and now a new connection just got laid down in my brain. You see that? A new connection was just created in my brain. I'm becoming changed. Then the second time, uh, stress comes, and guess what? I want a cigarette again because that path is strong. But then I say, Father, you said I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You showed me last time I could do it, not by my strength. I have none, but you can help me. Father, I'm going to do it by your strength. Please give me the victory. Father, I'm so weak. But you said through Christ I can do it. Second time, that path gets a little stronger. Third time, that path gets a little stronger. Fourth time, the fifth time, hundredth time, two hundredth, five hundredth, thousandth time. Guess what begins to happen? That new pathway becomes stronger and stronger. And at some point, and the Spirit of Prophecy connects with this. She says at some point we get to the point where it gets actually easier to do the right thing. Did you know that? In the beginning, you're like, man, this is impossible. This is just who I am. I am the sinner. And let's say, so, so you try and you try and you try. Uh, but let's say then after six months or eight, let's say a month, for a month you've been doing the right thing. And then you, boom, you stumble back into the cigarettes. You stumble back into the pornography. You get angry with your you know, parents or your children or your husband or your wife again. And you're like, man. And the devil comes in and he says, you are the same person. You haven't changed a bit. You faked it for a whole month. Good job. You even tricked yourself. But you haven't changed a bit. Now, is he right you haven't changed a bit? He's wrong. Now, he's not wrong in the sense, yes, the old pathway is still there. But guess what is, is literally you've been becoming a new person over that new month, that whole month, that this change has been taking place, that this change has been physically becoming a part of you. The connection to God. And over time, if, if see, what he wants you to do is say, stay down, you haven't changed, why even try? And then you go, yes, skip it, why do I even try? But if, if, if you listen to the enemy, you're lost. But if you say, no, Jesus, I know that you're willing to pick me up. I know that you're not looking at me and, and, and just wanting to give up on me. You want me to get up and go forward. Because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That even means me when I sin. He wants me not to perish. He wants me to be saved. And Father, I'm going to go forward. And then we go forward. And after a while, like I said, we get to the point. We're doing the right thing. And all my tells us this. It actually gets easier to do the right thing. So I want to challenge you. Don't give up. 
press forward with Jesus, he will give us the victory. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Some of the new translations, a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And we need the promises of God. If Jesus needed them while he was here on earth, we most certainly need them, especially as humans who have already sinned. We need strength from Jesus to be overcomers. Let's close with a word of prayer. I have my head bowed right now, and I ask that you all bow your heads, and I want to say, I'll even have my eyes closed. Nobody has to see your hand, not even me. Is there something in your life? All heads are bowed and all eyes are closed. The Holy Spirit is saying, it's time to let go. I want to give you victory. I know you can't do it, but I will help you if you'll come to me, trusting wholeheartedly in me. Is there something in your life that Jesus is asking you to give up right now? And by the simple raising of your hand, you want to say, Jesus, I want to, I want to let go of this. Would you raise your hand just now? Heavenly Father, you see the hands that have been raised. Lord, we want to be victorious. We want to become the people that you've called us to be. Lord, I pray that we would not give up, not listen to the voice of the enemy, but that we would listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit that speaks to our hearts. We pray that you would guide us and change us, create within us new hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.